I was in a body of water. There were sharks kind of swimming around, but they were cartoonish. I think I'm like sinking to the bottom in, in a way that like I'm either getting pulled down or I'm drowning or I'm just so heavy that I just sink. I Essentially down at the very bottom when I'm laying at the bottom, I look over and there's uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with these, but when I was in grade school, they'd have these carts with a TV on it. That was sitting there with a TV on it and a VCR, and there was a tape about to be pushed into the VCR. There was a notion that what was on the tape would drastically change my whole understanding of who I am. And the woman, she says that holding that knowledge, I would be rock solid. And it felt very attractive to her that she was like, finally, like, he's going to be a man. That's Steve Ernenwein sharing one of his dreams with a dream group who all signed up to be recorded so we could share it with you as a podcast episode. You're about to hear what can happen in group dream work and what it's like to use the projective dream work style developed by Jeremy Taylor. The potency of dream group is impossible for me to explain to you. It's much better if you get the experience of it. Every dream group is unique. Every session of every group is unique. But there are some similarities between sessions, and I would say that what you're about to hear follows an arc that many dream circles do of spiraling deeper into the underground space of the dream, hearing everybody's questions and projections as we feel around in this dim light or sometimes what feels like complete darkness, and the dreamer gets more and more in touch with what's at the heart of it until eventually we all sense that we're on the trail of something and we arrive at a potent gift from the dream, often with this kind of upwelling of emotion. If you've been curious about what a dream group with me is like, about the style of projective dream work for your own group, or if it intrigues you to hear five people connect about dreams and listen to someone in a healing process, a growth process, as he becomes the man and the father he wants to be, then this one's for you. You'll hear us introduce ourselves and set the scene by creating a sort of dream collage in our imaginations, including an image from each person present. I give an overview of projective dream work and how we'll run this group, and then we dive into Steve's dream. You might notice a few shifts in the audio as I did edit this down very slightly for listenability for you. A few other things I want to bring to your attention before I play the recording of our dream group. You might notice that a lot of emotion comes up during the dream work, but we don't go fully into the emotional release that might have come. If you've only done one-on-one dream work with me or someone else, What I invite you to notice here is how the group process is different from one-on-one work and how it ends up offering something to everyone in the group. As you'll hear me say in the intro, the dreamers process takes priority because we are deep in their very personal material, but it's usually more about opening up insights and new paths for them to explore as they go forward than about thorough processing in the moment. And we all have our individual ways that we go deeper with what comes up, which for some of us includes diving deeper with one-on-one support or creative expression or some other way. 
So I invite you to notice what the dream and the process offers each person present on the call and also what it offers to you as you listen. Second thing, in my view, personal healing and growth like this, self-understanding and wholeness are inseparable from change on a global scale. We need to have a baseline level of well-being to not only care about people and society and the ecosystem beyond ourselves, but to have the energy and desire to do something about it. And then when we're doing something to make change or offer service, it's so important to understand ourselves and be able to catch it when we're projecting blame on others, looking at other people as others, as a them to our own us, uh, to recognize our interconnection, to know ourselves well enough to know what we need to actually feel fulfilled and happy and love being alive so we're not in this insatiable consumeristic place So in so many ways, I see personal healing like this as essential to global healing. Plus, we're all it. This is it. Each of us is part of the suffering and the relief, the giving up and the loving life, the balance and the imbalance. I mentioned in the last episode how this podcast will be expanding to conversations about all kinds of contributions to the great turning of human society toward a life-sustaining way of being human on this planet. And what you're about to hear is a part of my contribution, supporting this kind of healing and self-understanding and ultimately opening to love. Third thing, you may have listened to Dr. Fanny Brewster at the recent IASD conference, International Association for the Study of Dreams. She recently published a book called The Racial Complex, A Jungian Perspective on Culture and Race. I haven't read it yet, but I've listened to Dr. Brewster speak a few times, and she's opened my eyes to how we have a racial complex in this country, society-wide. We don't explore it at all in the dream work you're about to hear, but our cultural racial complex definitely makes an appearance when Steve talks about dressing in hip-hop style, and how people reacted to that in his small town. We talk about it on a personal level for Steve, but I wanted to recognize that there's absolutely a cultural level to that part of our conversation, too. Next thing about Steve. Steve Ernenwine, he co-hosts a podcast with J.M. DeBoard called The Dreams That Shape Us, interviewing dreamers about the dreams that have shaped who they are and impacted them in all kinds of of amazing ways. Steve composes original music for every episode, and these conversations really, really sink into the dreams, and story after story reinforces the understanding that you probably already have, if you're listening to this, that our dreams really do matter. Coming up soon on their podcast will be an interview with me talking about a series of three dreams that have shaped my life in the last few years. So, I will have a link to the Dreams That Shape Us podcast in the show notes, which are at thedreamersden.org slash 33. And lastly, be sure you're getting my emails by signing up at thedreamersden.org slash open, because doors are opening in a few weeks for new members in the Dreamers Den, and I would 
love to serve your relationship with your dreams, your dream work process, and if it calls to you to have you in dream groups. All right, let's get to the dream work. You're listening to the Dreamer's Den podcast. I'm your host, Leilani Navar. I'm here along with guest dream workers, authors, and teachers to talk about diving deep into your dreams. We're skipping the small talk and going for conversations about what matters most to us, what's touching us so deeply that it shows up in our dreams, in one form or another. We talk about engaging with dreams to experience insight, inspiration, healing, and meaningful connection with one another. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can catch all these conversations. Visit thedreamersden.org slash open for a free video and mini book I put together to help you learn more about opening up or deepening your own relationship with your dreams. All right, let's say hello. We'll go around and how about we each say our name and then drop a dream image, some recent dream image into the stew here and we'll we'll make like a collage of our dream images, one from each of us. So I'm Leilani and recently I dreamt that I'm in the water at Lake Powell with someone beside me and I see a huge wave, like a tsunami way in the distance in Lake Powell. And as it crashes there, it takes a moment for me to realize, oh, we're going to feel that. The, the movement of that wave is going to get all the way to here. And I watch it come. And then I actually really physically feel in the dream, the, the lift and fall, you know, of a, when a little wave goes by oh. you, it's like bump, 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 bump. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Who's next? I'll go next. Okay. I have the perfect antithesis to that. <laughs> okay. So, so I've been thinking about, so I knew we were going to share a little bit of our dreams and I hadn't really had any good complete dreams for a long time that, you know, were coherent enough to share. And then when I woke up this morning, I realized I had, you know, a kind of a funny dream that I really kind of wonder about. So I dreamt that I was um, just, you know, uh, faced with this dilemma of putting siding on the side of a house. And I knew that I, I, there were three pieces of siding stacked up there and they, and they, um, and I was standing in front of it, that dream, that dream ends. Right. So I go to, you know, I wake up, do a few things, go back to sleep. And then I see, uh, just I just open up with a flash, and my hand is holding a small piece of that same siding. Hmm. And so that got me curious. Yeah. <laughs> you know? That got me curious. So there's that's my <laughs> addition, siding. That's great. Thank you. And so rare to go right back into, yes, after a yes. full waking into the same mm-hmm. contact. Mm-hmm. Do you want to say your name too? Or are you going anonymous for this recorded oh. group? Oh. My name's Stephanie. All right. Thank you, Stephanie, for the sighting. Who's next? I'll go next. I'm Denise. Um, and I uh, haven't been catching my dreams a lot lately, but this one showed up a few days ago and I'm in an office and a man, I'm leaning over a counter. The office is going to be renovated. And um, I don't know if I'm there to 
be involved with the office. I don't, I don't really understand why I'm there, but I lean across the counter to this man and he, he embraces me and he, he sort of pulls me over the counter and we're in this pool of water together. And mm. um, I'm not sure what's going on, but he's very, um, he feels very safe and he holds me and we kind of float along together as he's holding me. And periodically our, our feet touch the bottom of this pool and um, it's just very peaceful and, and relaxing. And um, it was just this little piece. That was all there was. Mm. And that was kind of, kind of interesting. I didn't recognize the man. And it was, um, I woke up and I thought, well, I'm going into something and somebody's going to be helping me. Somebody's going to be, mm-hmm. you know, leading the, the dance, so to speak. And um, it felt okay. It was very peaceful. Nice. Mm, thank you. Yeah. As I imagine that, it's so, it's really quite beautiful to be able to lean yeah. in, you know, and be held and feel safe like that. Yeah. Yeah. When the bottom's and the, the and the, in reach. Right. And the feeling of floating, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, makes it almost a magical kind of thing you know yeah that's that's really a beautiful vision I love too how there's a barrier at the beginning that the office counter that you just yeah does he does he lift you over he kind of lifted me over it was it was sort of effortless I was surprised and he Mm. put his arms around me so that he held my arms in which is not how you would normally lift someone Mm. but it worked very well and while we're in the water he's got me the same way my arms are contained by him and um in waking life i'm not sure i would be overly (laughs) comfortable with that approach um but it in the dream it felt it felt safe it felt reassuring it felt okay and i i Mm kind of just went with it yeah. Hmm. Thank you, Denise. That's wonderful. Go ahead, Jenny. We'll do ladies first. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm Jenny. Um, uh, I can share. A, a, this is from a couple nights ago. Uh, very felt very sweet image. Also, um, I'm riding in a convertible um, with the actor Patrick Stewart, who I love. Um, real and in waking life. So we're, we're, it's a sunny day. We're out in the countryside. I don't know if he's driving or I'm driving, but we are very clearly a couple. We're together. And in the dream, I just feel so much affection for him. And I I look over at one point and I'm worried because I, you know, he's bald and his head is very pale. And I say something to him about like, we have to be really careful that you don't sunburn your scalp and I, and I lean over and I kiss the top of his head very affectionately um and that's really all there was to that fragment but the feeling in it was just so much affection I think I also was thinking in the dream about he's older than me you know he's quite a bit older than me but that's okay I just I love him so much um mm. so it's a very very sweet and affectionate well, kind of feeling I love him too <laughs> 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 <Not to love. laughs> I know. Oh, 
Thank you, Jenny. I love that the contact in that dream too, the kiss on the top of the head where the sun is also reaching. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So here I am. I'm Steve. Uh, I guess I'll use a dream that's in my mind kind of related to the one I'm about to share. So uh, essentially I was in a body of water to go along with everybody else's water. <laughs> um, and there were sharks kind of swimming around, but they were cartoonish. So it didn't like carry like a real scary undertone, but there still was like a perceptible kind of sense of danger. And I'm, I think I'm like sinking to the bottom in, in a way that like, I'm either getting pulled down or I'm drowning or I'm just so heavy that I just sink. I wish I would have reviewed this dream real quick, but uh, essentially down at the very bottom, when I'm laying at the bottom, I look over and there's, uh, I don't know if any of you are familiar with these, but when I was in grade school, they'd have these carts with a TV on it that they would wheel into the classroom whenever you'd have like a movie mm -hmm. that you'd watch. And that was sitting there with a TV on it and a VCR and there was a tape about to be pushed into the VCR and add something written on it. And I don't remember what it said per se, but there was a notion that what was on the tape would drastically change my whole understanding of who I am. And wow. Yeah, it was pretty intense. And uh, all of a sudden, right before the dream ended, there was this notion that there were these two people that were causing me to drown or sink or die essentially. And one was a man one was a woman and the woman i think that's where i got the notion about what was on the tape because i think she says either to the man or to me i don't remember how it worked but um, that if i were to watch that video i would hold the knowledge that i needed that holding that knowledge i would be rock solid and it felt very attractive to her that she was like finally like he's going to be it was essentially like he's going to be a man like he's going to mm. know himself completely in a way that is unshakable and uh the feeling i got from the man who didn't say much was kind of like he was doing this to me but he was also kind of indifferent whether i lived or died <laughs> mm. um he was very standoffish, but the woman at the same time, while, while she thought that I was going to feel rock solid, all of a sudden her energy felt very slippery because she was going to abandon her post with that guy and kind of fancied herself to wanting to be with me. It was some kind of weird thing where all of a sudden she felt very ungrounded, whereas I was going to be very solid. So I don't huh. know, it was, it was a very interesting uh, yeah so anyways <laughs> wow. that feels like a real yeah. one yeah, yeah. It, yeah it's something i'm definitely unpacking right now for sure it was um uh, which we'll, we'll talk more about with the dream that i'm going to share with you guys here shortly yeah that was just like his warm-up we got a powerful <laughs> dream coming too. <laughs> oh, maybe we're about to press play oh. on the tape in the vcr god we'll i see. hope so 
<laughs> Thank you, Steve. That's that is really rich. I feel like we could spend a lot of time on that yeah. one too. Um, okay. Wow. Thank you guys. I feel like we have this like rich stew going already with everybody's seasoning in it. That feels really good. I want to shift gears briefly to talk about the style of group dream work we're going to do also for all the listeners of what projective dream work is like in a group. And I'll share my screen with all of you on the call. And then for everyone listening, I can also share these visuals through the show notes. But we're gonna look at the introduction I like to give to group projective dream work. And it's all based on Jeremy Taylor's dream work toolkit. So one, all dreams come in the service of health and wholeness. So we're gonna share this assumption together, this understanding from the beginning that every dream comes for us. And as Jeremy put it, there's no such thing as a bad dream, only dreams that sometimes take a dramatically negative form in order to grab our attention. So no matter what the dream feels like, and also I'll say not just negative, but mundane, no matter how boring or like a dream that we might just be ready to throw away, there's something in there for us, for our health and wholeness. Two, we're going to go with the belief that only the dreamer can recognize the meanings of their dream. So we might all have helpful insights, but the dreamer is the one who's going to know if that is what this dream really came to say or to open up or to inspire. So usually the dreamer knows this when they get a wordless aha of recognition. And Jeremy was known to talk about that as a function of memory. So on some level, the dreamer already knew what the dream was about. And in the process of dream work, when they get that, aha, that's it. It's them remembering, you know, oh, that's what I meant. But it was out of reach until we got back to it. So that aha moment is a felt sense that we each have inside of our own experience. And there's no such thing as a dream with only one meaning. So sometimes we wake up from a dream and we get a sense right away. This dream means I need to check on this person or this dream means I'm still dealing with my grief or there's something you know pretty obvious to us when we wake up, but that's never the only meaning. There's always more than one. And I would even say most dreams speak in some way on all the levels. They speak about our relationships, our health, our spirituality, our community, our ecosystem. There's some brilliant way that every dream weaves that all together in the imagery and the story that's chosen. So this is one of the reasons that I love, love, love to work dreams in groups, because each of us has our own fluency and our own lens where we're more likely to see the relationship side of it or the psychological side of it or the spirituality side or the health. So when we have all those different perspectives in the room together, we can offer them all to the dreamer and then let them have their aha moments when, when the right chord is struck. Kind of along those same lines, no dream comes to tell you only what you already know. So even though the dreamer is the only one who knows the true meaning of their dream, most likely they don't consciously know that at first. And this is why we need each other to ask questions and stretch us and offer insights because we didn't already consciously know everything this dream came to say. And now um, project, projections. So 
wisely and respectfully owning our projections. And this is where this style of dream work, whether it's one-on-one or in a group, really differs from a lot of other styles. And it's mostly in the way we communicate. Like a lot of the things that we might say in the projective dream work style, someone would say in any other kind of dream work setting, but the way we communicate is really what's distinctive about this. So we're going to fully own the fact that all we can ever do is imagine our own version of the other person's dream. We're never going to know actually what it looked like or felt like in there. And then we can only project on it based on our life experience, our beliefs, our, our, um, what we're going through at that time, right? So we're always projecting. And even if I listen to Steve's dream and I have a projection on it that's based on imagining that I'm a man, it's still my projection based on imagining that I'm a man. It's not like it's not true for me. It must be true for me in some way or recognizable to me in some way because I'm projecting it. So I'm going to own that by talking in the style of if that if this were my dream. If this were my dream, I would think, I would ask, I would wonder. The example I like to use is a dream where a man is stuffing the trunk of the car with little coats and little boots um, at his daughter's car. And so one way someone could sort of interpret that dream, we could say interpret or project on it. And you'll hear people say it in this way and sometimes it lands fine, but it would be, maybe this means you're still trying to baby your daughter when you should just be letting her move on, right? And maybe the dreamer can hear that and it's true and gives him an aha. But another way to phrase that is, if this were my dream and I were the dad with a daughter about to leave home, I'd think that filling the trunk of her car with little coats and boots is about how I'm trying to take care of her like I used to. And I'd wonder if this takes up space she needs and I should just let her drive away. So if I own that for myself, then the dreamer can really take it or leave it. And usually in my experience, not feel as triggered or sensitive or um, defensive about it if it's something kind of heavy and hard for them to look at. You know, we just own it for ourselves and then the dreamer can take it or leave it. And it's also for us ourselves. We're showing our deep respect for the dreamer, but we're also giving ourselves this profound practice of compassion, of really practicing, imagining as much as we can what it's like to be in that other person's shoes. And we also, when we phrase things in the first person in this way, get the opportunity to recognize aha moments of our own that we might need. You know, if instead of saying, well, maybe you should call your mother. I say, if this were my dream, I would wonder if it's time I call my mom. You know, then I get to hear myself say that in my own voice and maybe I really needed that realization and that may be why I spotted that aspect of this dream in the first place. So that's how we'll do this. We'll listen to Steve's dream and we'll imagine it for ourselves. And then when we want to ask him for more about it, We can say, okay, so as I imagine myself standing inside this building, can I tell what time of day it is? You know, things like that. So he's like helping us fill out our imagined version of his dream. And then we'll share our projections in first person. 
And I will gently remind us to stay with this approach when needed. So, you know, I'll like tap my chest or I'll maybe rephrase something in the eye just to keep us grounded um, in that approach. I also might hold up a hand or verbally ask for a pause for you to wait. If something is coming up for the dreamer, if there are emotions arising, the dreamer's pace is going to take priority because while we each are having our own version of this dream and our own insights that apply to us and things may come up for each of us, I want to really honor the deep work that the dreamer is doing and when those waves of emotion or deeper processing start happening, they really need room to breathe and that process itself is so healing. So usually this flows pretty naturally, but I wanted to name that as well, that I might slow us down for a minute if that seems to be something that would really serve the dreamer. The last thing I usually talk about is anonymity and confidentiality, but you all know we're being recorded and sharing this publicly. So anonymity (laughs) and confidentiality are not applicable in this case. Anybody have any questions? Okay. All right. So Steve has a dream for us. If you want to read it to us um, slowly and ideally in present tense, Steve. And just out of curiosity, I don't remember earlier. Does this dream have a title? Uh, I did title it Grief. Oh, Grief. Okay. All right. So I had this dream April 12th of this year. I am standing in what feels like a school with a father and his son, who is a teenager, and I am also understood to be teenage myself. The father is telling us that we need to be more like them. And he points out to a couple people dressed as Buddhist monks out in the schoolyard. And he relays a notion that if we follow any of the other relate other religions it's problematic like we'd be too much of a handful almost like him or society wouldn't be able to handle us uh, being anything but perfectly docile and peaceful so more so quiet (laughs) Uh, he relays this in a happy way like he's being our buddy and he thinks he's doing us this great favor imparting some kind of fatherly advice and we kind of the teenage way go yeah 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 sure thank you uh thinking that yeah sure we we, mean we don't know anything better so we we just kind of eat it up and take it as it is Uh, and then the scene moves into the schoolyard And one of the head teachers, an older woman, is calling for all of the children uh, to join her in a designated area. And suddenly, every every child that is in the dream is not teenage. They're probably between the ages of three, four, five, six, somewhere around there. And as she's trying to corral all the kids in, there is a child who comes hurtling around in somewhat of a mischievous way. He looks gothy, like he has black hair and black clothes and 
a little bit almost like eyeshadow on and uh, it feels very much like a shadow child and i i wish i could remember verbatim what the woman says to him but she shouts at him in a in a tired tone saying so and so you are our biggest failure or something to that tune where it felt like the child was somehow like beyond repair and it the way she says it and the wording she used makes me kind of go like this like whoa lady like <laughs> that seems very harsh uh and she finally gets everybody together and she asks the kids a series of questions about an emotional issue that it seems like the whole school had collectively just kind of gone through and she's kind of like slowly and easily through her questioning, almost like leading questions to bring them to this place of awareness that the great conclusion of what they've been dealing with, that there's this grief at the heart of it and that everybody needs to kind of tap that grief for us to all kind of move through it. And that's how the dream ended with that feeling of like the weight of the necessity of of tapping into whatever that is. Mm. And so if I could just say one thing about this, uh, since January, I've had like a slew of dreams with the child archetype suddenly like surfacing in like a very strong way. And so there's this one in the dream that I had just shared at the beginning the TV on the stand that's related to being in school, the sharks that look like they're from a Disney movie, kind of there was a few few themes that seemed to tie into the child archetype and the knowledge that I need to have to become a man. And it feels like whatever that, that tape has on it is also related to whatever this grief is that uh, needs to be felt and recognized fully so that I can become a man or know myself more fully. So <laughs> mm -hmm. all right. But I have no idea. I'm still trying to piece it apart. So <laughs> okay. I'm happy to share this with you guys. Yeah, let's do it. Thank you for sharing this. I'm glad we got the the tape dream beforehand too. Um, yeah. And so the tape dream was after this one. Okay. So it was like a continuation, like trying to push that button a little bit. So in the beginning of the dream, I'm, I'm a teenager and I'm with the son who's also a teenager. And then later there's all these younger kids. Is there a sense of whether I am still a teenager? Am I still really in the scene? What, what's happening there? Um, when I was trying to piece apart that part, um, it felt like that fatherly wisdom was trying to speak to like a way I was raised. I mean, I, I was pretty, pretty strong-willed kid. <laughs> so I have a feeling that my parents had to really kind of come down on me pretty hard to get me to, to cooperate and to, you know, fall in line a little bit. And my father was definitely, uh, a very strong and, and hard-edged character at times. So I could see 
this notion being kind of like you know you have to be like the buddhist monk or i can't handle you you have to be completely peaceful and quiet and or me and society is not going to be able to handle you they're not going to know what to do with you and so i, I don't know if that's like some kind of narrative that is wormed its way into me and mm. I'm, I'm guessing there, there's some reason why that's like so potently visible and if that is the case that seems like to move into smaller children maybe that was where that got instilled or something and now i'm a teenage kid and i'm just kind of like oh yeah yeah sure uh-huh <laughs> And does it feel it's like become such a part of my life that I was just I don't know any better and that's the part that I woke up and was like you know thinking on that fatherly advice being a father myself I'm like that's such bs like <laughs> to tell a child that no you you can't be yourself because I can't handle you that's <laughs> even if it's true sometimes <laughs> yeah right yeah so in the dream uh you know, I'm in a school. Do I recognize anybody from waking life? I'm trying to get just a, a, a clear picture of not so much the feelings, but the images in the dream, um, what they look like. So I can I can sort of paint my own dream here. Right. Um, no, I don't know anybody from waking life in the dream. It's all just random people, even the father and the kid and the teenage son. Um, okay. The school itself is not a school that I have ever attended either. So what what am I do I know what room I'm in in the school? Oh, that's am I in the Yeah, it's kind of a wow. Wow, thank you for that. Oh my god. Um, I think I just had a somewhat of a ping. Uh so where I'm standing with the father and the teenage son it was kind of like this open-aired hallway in between classrooms and okay. so essentially the whole dream takes place outside but that part in particular is kind of like in an overhang like hallway of some sort and when i was a kid in florida i lived there for a couple of years uh, that's essentially how the schools were formulated down there you'd have just trailers for the classrooms in the elementary school. And they were all conjoined by these cement hallways that were all outside with these uh, overhanging uh, kind of things. So that would have been when I was from the age of seven to 11, I, I, I lived in Florida and went to that school. So I don't know if that's connecting me to that time period at all. Hmm. And how are the people dressed? I mean, how is the teacher, how, I mean, the father and the teenage son and myself, and then later when the little children come in and the woman, how's everybody dressed? Are we in uniforms? Um, are we in shorts? Are we, you know? Yeah, it's just casual. Uh, nothing stood out. Uh, the older woman was kind of like a, she felt very much like a, uh like an old taskmaster she she was probably dressed a little bit more formally or formally and was tall and skinny and had just this presence of uh <laughs> being the kind of old woman who used to hit children when 
<laughs> that was allowed. Uh, she was very stern. Okay. And do you have any sense, do I, as the dreamer, have any sense of maybe how old she is, her age? Uh, she would have been, I mean, she felt to me in the dream like she was at least like 70, I would think. She felt quite old and uh, sorry if anybody's 70, <laughs> I just said that to you. Um, uh, it, it, if when I think about it right now, it, it almost feels like that perception you have when you're a child of like how how much older people are than you that is pretty skewed. Um, okay. So yeah. Mm -hmm. It feels like there's um, the, the interesting thing to me is sort of these transitional pieces of the there, there's elements of transition in the dream that stand out. I'm thinking about how I'm in this in-between place. It's between classrooms. It's sort of indoor, sort of outdoor. I think that's a really interesting environment and setting. And I also think about how I'm a teenager and that really is a transitional, I mean, that's a hugely transitional period as well. You know, I'm, I'm not a little kid anymore, but I'm also not an adult. So I, I think that's an interesting um, theme in there about kind of the, the the transitional quality. Um, and I'm curious about how I'm feeling about this woman too. You know, I, I, I'm taken aback by how harsh she is with the little goth child, but how do I feel about what she says about grief? How am I, how am I reacting to that part of what she's instructing them in? Wow. Thank you for that. Um, so it, I'm glad you said that because I, I don't think I really paid too much attention to this. But so when she's uh, ragging on the child, she feels very mean and you know stern and kind of like she's been past her point with this child and she just can't even take it anymore. And uh, but when she moves everybody into the other space and she's like walking us through this process of you know opening up to this grief uh, and she's very soft and she's very um it almost i almost believe i remember her being kind of choked up when she arrives at you know delivering that conclusion to us all that there's grief at the heart of it she she feels like uh, an elder who is like delivering uh, the information that'll kind of save us in, in a sense. And she's very emotional about it and very sensitive about helping us all get there. So Interesting. Um, that feels, if it were my dream, I would think about like that, cause I interpret everything this way for myself, like that divine feminine, energy which can be so incredibly compassionate and just open-hearted and and um and generous but can also like turn on a dime and be like just the taskmaster and and decisive and cutting things off and like no you know um pointing things out and being incredibly um harsh i feel like there's um you know there, there's that many faces to the, the sort of feminine energy and and it sounds like 
this woman really embodied a lot of those kind of in a short space of time, uh, which I think is um, an interesting thing. And also her corralling of her corralling of these little children too, I think just, uh, that's a really interesting image kind of bringing in these little people and then also um, kind of trying to instruct them in um, something that's very emotional. And, you know, like that's a hard thing for, that's a really hard thing for children to get their heads around. Um, So some interesting dynamics in there. Yeah. And it almost, that we're pulling this apart. It it almost feels like, you know, as a kid, you interpret things differently than how maybe the adult expects you to internalize it. And so my my initial reaction to the teacher kind of chastising that child, it might be helping me to look at, you know, sometimes children need discipline and they need structure and they need uh, accountability and, you know, to grow. And maybe, <laughs> maybe the child of me has has misinterpreted some of those big growth moments that I had in life, and that really they they meant well, but I internalized it as if I was beyond repair. Yeah. So, but I so I'm seeing that I'm seeing how that harsh message came across to the shadow child. But I'm also seeing now that I can be compassionate and I can name it and I can call it grief. I can, I can recognize that there's some grief attached to that. Um, just within that same kind of within that same moment. Um, yeah, I, I, I feel like something about being able to give it a name and tie it to the whole picture seems yeah. kind of meaningful. Like this is, you know, I, I thought this was about, I thought this was about being judged harshly, but really what it's about maybe is is grief and kind of allowing some compassion for myself um, to grieve. I don't know. Yeah. Hmm. Well, you know, one of the things I'm struck by in this dream is the the voice of the father giving me, you know, a particular message um, about being like a Buddhist monk, um, you know, docile and peaceful. And and I think about that and I think Buddhist monks are, there are a lot of things. There's a lot more to them than docile and peaceful. Uh, in my experience, they're very focused, very dedicated and deeply, profoundly um, compassionate. Um, And in the second part of the dream, the woman is talking to me, us, the goth child, um, and starts out being somewhat harsh and then talks more in my dream in a compassionate way. And so I'm struck by both the sort of masculine and feminine energies talking to the child, children, me. And if I think about all the pieces of the dream being pieces of myself, you know, I wonder where um, I'm kind of authoritarian with myself 
I'm kind of strict with myself. I'm kind of dictatorial with myself. And I'm struck by the fact that at the end of this dream, there's a different energy sort of to tap into what Jenny said, the divine feminine. There's this, this feminine female person who is being very tender and caring and compassionate and attentive um, in a way in which it feels to me like she's actually really trying to connect in an intimate and maternal-ish even way. And for me, I think about this dream and I wonder, in my dream, is this part of me trying to reach me? Is this my, my good mother self, who's, who's a little bit clumsy at first, she's a little bit harsh at first, but in her deepest soul, this part of me is trying to be compassionate towards this gothy child and other child parts of me. Um, I like that idea. For me, I like being attended to by someone who's really doing their best to try to show compassion and care and empathy. And, and in my dream, I recognize this and am able to take it in. Um, and, and for me, it, it, it gives me a kind of a hope and reassurance that you know, this might actually be possible for me to do with myself. I love that. Thank you. I really like that a lot. I really liked what you said about Buddhist monks and how, how they're focused and deeply compassionate. And so even though upon awakening, my first thought was, <laughs> wow, guy, um, you know, there, there is value in that still. And, um, you know, if you're going to become a man, you can't be a wild child all the time. Um, and so I, I think, yeah, I think there's probably like a lot to that, both in like, I don't know, it, it feels like that the paradoxical kind of way that parenthood is it's like I don't know when I became a parent myself I, I understood so many things about how my parents tried to raise me that I didn't understand or uh, couldn't understand or couldn't see what the value in it was and maybe this is the same kind of thing where at, at first it seems like wow thanks for like looking out for yourself <laughs> and not seeing me in the equation at all um or just you know trying to make me be what you want me to be uh versus there still being maybe that is still true maybe at an unconscious level that that is why the father is saying that but at, at the same at the same sense he thinks he's he's offering me value and there is some to you know in hindsight it's easy to, to see the value more i guess being a parent now and understanding how <laughs> fallible i am at it uh, and seeing how how often i get it way wrong and uh yeah yeah so 
yeah, nothing, nothing teaches you more about what your parents did than being a parent. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 And you, you have to encompass everything. I mean, and I, I, um, if it were my dream, I would think about like, it's saying be compassionate to yourself because you know, you've got those two parent figures in the dream, or I have those two parent figures in the dream that are showing up in a lot of different ways. And that really is the experience of parenting. Yeah. You have to be super compassionate, but you also have to be really instructive and you also have to know where to have boundaries and you have to kind of gather things in. I mean, in, in the dream, the, those two figures are, are doing a, a lot of that, but it feels like kind of underneath that is that message of compassion because yeah, parenting is like, it's the hardest thing. And unless you can, unless one can forgive oneself for all of those mistakes, you know, um, it, it's a hard, <laughs> it's a really hard road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is really yeah. hard. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I really liked what you said, Denise, about the the woman uh, and how you, you like that it ends on that note of of connecting with that, the heart of that motherly goodness. Um, yeah, it is very hopeful. It, it, and that's how, that's how it left me too. It was just like, well, it, it was one of those dreams that just like leaves its mark on you and you wake up kind of like gasping almost where it was like, whoo, okay. Uh, <laughs> I just got chills right now thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, I think about what Jeremy used to say, which is that, Um, dreams don't come to torture us. They come to help us. And if we have a dream, you know, and then we remember it, we've already sort of taken the first step. We've already moved in that direction. Um, And for me, I think about this dream for myself and I think about, oh, it's giving me some new ways to look at things that I hadn't seen before. And it's reminding me because of all these different elements in the dream, the, the kid, the goth kid, the father, um, myself as a teenager, the teenager, the woman, that all of these energies are alive and very, very invaluable to me. The goth child is valuable. These little kids are valuable. The, the father, the teenage son, the woman, they're all valuable energies for me to bring alive into my life. And my quest that this dream presents me with is how do I integrate all of these energies into where I'm trying to go and who I'm trying to be? Because each of these energies brings something that's really important where they wouldn't have shown up Mm -hmm. in my dream. And um, I think about Jeremy used to always say, it's not always, it's not always, it's never really either or it's and. Nice. Thank you. I wouldn't. Sorry. Well, I'll throw this out there and it can weave in if, if you want to. And then, but um, I would love to hear more about the goth child and what being goth is 
Like if I didn't know that word, you know, <laughs> I, um, you know, what does it mean right. to dress in that way as the dreamer? Is that a way I ever dressed or wanted to dress? Or did I have relationships with people who dress that way? Like, I want to know more about who this child is that runs out with mischief in his eye and gets dealt with so harshly. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I didn't dress the way that the child was dressed. I mean, I guess I said gothy just because the dream tried to make it very clear that it was more of the shadow expression of the child. And so it looked a little bit more like torture. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say, but emo. Uh, yeah, emo, exactly. Just very like black hair, jet black hair, black clothes, maybe a little bit of eyeliner. I don't know if there's mm -hmm. eyeliner, but it was that kind of look. Um, and uh, yeah, when I was in high school, though, I dressed very true to hip hop culture. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I had very baggy clothes and shaved my head and uh, wore hoodies that were about five sizes too big for me. And <laughs> I have a lot of, uh, I guess, I don't know, we moved to a very white town right around that time and I had lived in a couple of very big cities and it was it just was whatever you know uh, so moving to that small very white town I came under a lot of hard like criticism <laughs> and bullying and uh, actually like a lot of racial stuff was thrown at me because I was looked at as like some kind of like race traitor or like um, I don't, there was a lot, I'm not even going to say them. There was just a lot of like really awful racial mm. slurs thrown at me. And so, I'd, and being a hip hop artist, that's what I, I outside of the podcast, I, I create music and it's changing right now. It's becoming a lot of like singer songwriter kind of stuff in the mix of hip hop, but, uh, hip hop has always been my, my big love. And, uh, so I'd, I don't know if the two would relate at all in that capacity, but um, I did have a, a streak of being very, <laughs> uh, thinking I was a, a little tough guy. So, so in the, in the small white town where it was, where, you know, dressing in this more hip hop style that didn't, you know, raise so many eyebrows in the bigger cities, like were there kids dressing in a goth way? Was that something that was more? Uh, yeah, I think uh, that was more typical. Yeah. At the school, yeah. Because that was like when emo music like really yeah. took off. And so yeah, there was a lot of that. So if this were my dream, there might be something there about like to emo and goth and, you know, jet black hair and black clothes and all of that part of it, I think, you know, the word tortured came out there too. So it's like wearing that um, angst on the surface. Look at me, mm -hmm. I'm angsty. <laughs> like see, yes. see my angst is all over that. And, um, you know, hip hop culture has a lot of boldness in it too. Like a lot of see me, see me in it right. too. Um, and I mean, this is all my projection, but to me, this is like another side of what am I going through on the inside that everybody else has no idea about? 
Um, but in this mode of expression that I, as the dreamer did not choose, um, and that maybe is newly surfacing in me and, and showing up to, to encounter almost that judgmental energy that the old woman has. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. And I guess during my like very hard hip hop phase, uh, I was going through a depression. So I was very much trying to put on that front of being hard or being angry and being just kind of unapproachable in that way of creating that, that experience of like, don't mess with me. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm not to be messed with and I'm not to be talked to and blah, 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 blah. Mm. Um, so when you were saying that, I, I could definitely see a little bit of, of that same thing with that child where it was kind of like, because he was kind of running around, hurtling, I mean, I wrote hurtling around and it was almost like he was like trying to like get in the face of everyone <laughs> and like messing with people and, you know, trying to just create a problem to be a problem almost to like, wow, almost to kind of like reinforce his stance or mm -hmm. like his his whole belief system of of maybe that he does feel like he's he's this failure that nobody wants to take the time to understand and to uh what was the other way i, I framed that uh to repair yes beyond repair just kind of it feels a that feels a little like um almost like a trickster kind of energy kind of probing into that child a little bit more um you know he's running around outside he's outside of the circle of kids he's 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 got that look in his eye i mean i was thinking about um just what you were saying about the experience of being a, a teenager um that way of dressing, whether it's the hip hop thing or the goth thing, it is, it is a seamy thing, but it's almost more like a, I'm going to dress this way so that I don't fit in. Um, it's very, it's a very intentional way of standing apart mm -hmm. and, and, you know, putting things in, in the, you know, it's a very two-sided thing because it is alienating but also like I did this deliberately. I'm dressing this way because I want to stand out and I want it to be in your face that I don't fit in. That seems, um, you know, it, it's a complicated dynamic because I think we all want to fit in when we all want to belong in some way, but we also want to be kind of individual and unique and express ourselves. Um, so it's a, it's kind of a fraught dynamic. Um, and it, it is interesting that he gets called out immediately. Um, but your dream, the dream self really like is puzzled by that a little bit. Like, wow, that, that was, that was unnecessarily harsh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And actually now that I'm thinking yeah. about that too, is like during that time of that phase of mine, uh, all of my teachers seemed like they were just coming down on me unnecessarily hard. And I remember I had this one very sweet teacher who kind of saw that and she tried to take me under her wing as best she could. And she used to tell me all the time, Steve, you really got 
at some point in your life, you're going to have to learn when and how to choose your battles. Like you can't just, <laughs> you can't try to fight everything that life throws at you. And uh, that finally clicked in like a few years later, but um, yeah, I've just felt like I was mad at the world. I felt like I was just raging against everyone and everything. And uh, you know, just, just so angry. I mean, cause I guess part of what fueled all of that was that I moved a lot when I was a kid, like before I got to middle school, I had lived in five States. And so growing up as a young kid, there, there is a lot of grief that I probably haven't really touched on and that I didn't have time to, cause I had to survive. And uh, while I'm getting really emotional all of a sudden, uh, and yeah, so once I got to that school and it seemed like everybody wrote me off as like this, this person that doesn't fit, that doesn't jive with their little <laughs> white centric bubble that they were all in. Uh, I just got so angry and so mad that you know, I'd been through so much and it just finally all kind of snowballed into a big nasty mess. And uh, yeah, the teachers, they didn't seem to understand. And it was like, uh, so many of them would just like rag on me or dog on me, or there was like a rule that I couldn't wear a hat or headphones in the hallway. And I didn't want, to have to hear anybody in the hall. So I would constantly wear them like an idiot. And so of course I'd get yelled at all the time. And <laughs> it was kind of like what, what I just said a few moments ago where I was just like doing things to be a problem just to reinforce almost like my angst. And I don't know, it it is fraud. It's like, <laughs> It's just like that's that's such a bad way about going about it, and but it, it's such like a a teenage thing, I think. To mm -hmm. I don't know to to rage against the systems in place, and I feel like at that time, in many ways, I was I have a lot of Aquarius in my astrology birth chart, and I think I I was becoming more individualized and I was trying to find my own identity and being so angry and depressed and angsty the greatest way that I could express that was through going full-on in and hip-hop culture and dress and basically putting a big middle finger up to everyone and anyone and uh, yeah well you know I, I have to say this because it comes up when I hear this uh, I'm thinking about the dream as, for me, I'm thinking about my dream as an invitation. The last thing that this teacher, this woman says is she's trying to get us, she's trying to get us children. She's trying to get us to address our grief. She's, in my dream, when I think about goth kid, angry, rage, What's usually underneath rage a lot of times for me when I'm, if I, if I sit with the rage, what's underneath it is grief. 
And I'm struck by the fact that she's inviting me to explore this, to explore some grief that needs to be tapped into. She even sort of says, you know, this grief that needs to be tapped into. And, you know, dreams come in the service of health and wholeness. And they don't come to tell us something we already know. And even though I may know, no, I'm putting air quotes here. Oh yeah, I've got some grief that needs to be looked into. There's some piece of this dream that's asking me to look really deep. Um, and I'm kind of struggling with that in my dream. I'm really kind of struggling with that. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's absolutely, I mean, having this conversation right now, I feel like I've, for the last few minutes, been on the edge of <laughs> full-on crying. Yeah. Like, I can, I just feel like we're tiptoeing right to the precipice of uh, that whole reservoir. And yeah, I, and I like what you said, because, I mean, I, I've been doing a lot of grief work and shadow work the last, I don't know, five, six, seven years. And there's been a lot of grief that I've tapped into, but I'm, I don't think I've really tapped into this part of it. And I'm guessing that's why the dreams here, it's like inviting me into that, that space and this part of it. And yeah. I, I want to just recognize and, and make space for that. There's, um, the grief is coming up right now, you know, and we don't, we don't need to go there at this exact moment, but I want to like make a big opening around that and know that maybe that's something after our call or something that really needs room because of anything else that we might say, that might be the biggest, most important thing coming from this dream, you know, waking up from it and having chills and just the, the word, the title of the dream and the woman saying grief, like, you know, maybe that's the most important thing. Um, yeah. I am feeling drawn to go back to the Buddhist monks in light of that too, because like they, I, I love what Denise said, you know, they're, they have a uh, focus and a discipline. There's so much meditation in their lives and in their years past. Um, I also recognize them by how they're dressed. So that seems interesting, the, the monks and, um, but they, they've like the Buddhist practice involves cultivating mindfulness and cultivating compassion. Those are important practices. And so maybe as the teenage guy, I don't get what my dad is saying when he says, be like that. I I'm like, no, screw that. I'm not going to be docile and quiet, <laughs> but maybe what he's saying is be like that, have a practice get to know your mind, cultivate compassion. And maybe that would, maybe that would really, really serve me right now. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, I just, it, um, yeah, when I found meditation, that really was like what, what really saved my life and felt like I was missing all along. And (sighs) 
yeah, it, it just makes that whole part so much more meaningful now all of a sudden. I, I guess I hadn't even really thought about that I did end up being like that. Mm. Oh boy, it's <sighs> maybe the little boy wasn't beyond repair. I just needed the practices. I just needed the knowledge of mm-hmm. how to do that and to and how to, you know, sit with my grief and to work through all of that pain that I went through when I was a kid. <sighs> wow, I didn't expect to actually tap that today. This is amazing. Thank you, guys. I'm... Oh. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Amazing. Steve, mindful of the fact that we're here with the group and recording and seeing what you're opening up here, do you want to, this is when we would be, you know, bringing the, the conversation to a close although there's always more we could do with the dream. This is when we would close. Do you want to stay on the call and close as a group? Do you want to go exit the call and have your own space right now? Or oh, no, I, I feel okay. I can, <laughs> I can write it out. Thank you, though. Okay. All right. So as we close this out, is there anything... Anyone wants to share any last reflections about this dream and what it's bringing up for you? And then, Steve, if you have anything you want to say about the dream at the end, it'll come back around to you for the final words. I just wanted to say that, you know, in thinking about your dream, being in your dream, the thing that was striking me was the male and the female figures and how how the female figure turned, you know, from harsh to soft and she had you know she had different sides to her you know what I mean it's like it seems like the adult figures sort of morph that's really a powerful thing to you know to to um, realize is true disappointing but true and you know it's like you know how flawed we are you know how flawed we are how flawed you know as parents, we are how, you know, it's, we're not just, you know, one way or the other, you know, and we're just so multifaceted and, you know, it's, it's, um, you can see the progression, you can see where it came from, you can, you know, you can take what you can learn, what you can learn, and you can forgive, you know, yourself and, and, and others, you know, that's what, uh, that's what I was thinking about when I saw that vision of the two, of the two parents for me. Thank you, Stephanie. Everybody else feeling complete? All right, I'll share final thoughts. 
One thing I noticed in my imagined version of this dream is the embodied piece of it, the gestures, the nodding along as a teenager, listening to the dad, kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, nodding along, and then the cocking of the head to one side when the woman is so harsh, and I'm thinking, whoa, lady, you know, and just noticing those two different gestures, some shift happens there in the way that I'm taking things in, in the way that I'm listening to and responding to the authority figures or the parental figures, and I would want to watch for that in waking life. Like, are there times when I make those gestures or take that posture? And is there anything for me to notice there? And the other thing is about the five element lens through this. I'm seeing metal energy show up in a beautiful way. Imagining, you know, myself as the dreamer and I make music and I use my voice. You know, that's a, a expression of metal qualities, the radiance of sound and of music and the voice itself, the speaking. And then grief is the emotion of metal, of the lungs and large intestine. Also, you know, it's the element of uh, the season of fall. So we have this woman who's older, who's in the autumn of her life. And that fall season and that metal quality of discernment, of saying yes or no to things, of letting things go, can also really become judgmentalness. So I see in her that judgmentalness, but it's the same energy. It's the same qualities in me that are judgmental, that also, once that's out, you know, once that softens, make room for grief. That's also the qualities that notice and process the grief. Those are the last things I wanted to share. Do you have anything you'd like to say, Steve? Um, yeah, I, I guess just gratitude to all of you for all your amazing projections and helping me to really feel like I tapped into that pretty hard. And I now after this, I think I'll be able to move into those spaces a little deeper and to look at those a little, a little bit more clearly now. And so thank you. And then I was not expecting all of this, so. <laughs> but I'm glad because, yeah, the dreams have been, have been pushing at me to, yeah. to, to figure it out. So I hope that I can keep, keep finding my way into there. Thank you for opening up the dream and yeah. everything else with us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you all. Thanks everybody for your listening and questions and projections. And as a close, I'd love to go back around the circle. And um, if each person wants to share one thing from today, that's going to stay with you an image or an insight that you'll carry forward could be from Steve's dream and our process with that, or from one of the dreams shared at the beginning. For me, it's looking out at the Buddhist monks from the covered walkway between the trailers, looking out at them and considering <laughs> being like that. I think for me, it's sort of recognizing this in the dream that I, I heard that became mine from Steve, recognizing that this 
um, path is being held in the loving arms of the good mother, the divine feminine, um, and remembering that she she has deep and profound love for me. Yeah, amen to that. I, I love it so much. And I think the image that's going to stay with me, I can see it uh, being deep in the water and knowing that when I die, I'm going to get to see what's on that tape. See that, I can see that machine, the AV cart. I can, I can see it so clearly and just like, I can just get to it. Um, I'll know, I'll know. I, I love that image. So thank you so much for sharing that and for everything else. I just want to thank Steve for sharing. And so, you know, really, uh, you know, let it wash in because it's, it's, I just feel like I witnessed a miracle and it's such a gift for me. You know, it's such a gift to see that, you know, you know, you don't witness deep expression and deep, you know, movement on those deeper levels yeah. every day, you know, <laughs> you don't go deep like that every day, you know, <laughs> at least I don't. With three know? people you don't know. So I just, <laughs> you know, yeah, I know. That's what, I mean, it's, that's what, that's what I mean. It's a miracle. It's like, wow, really, really memorable. So thank you. Thank you. Thank everybody. Thank you for letting me be a part of this. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Well, I think on that note, I think that what I could say is I really appreciate the way that dreams do this, that they they take, I mean, I know Leilani relatively well, not super well, but I don't know any of you. And for something like a dream to be able to move complete strangers into such a deep and vulnerable and beautiful place, I think is such a testament to just how incredibly powerful and beautiful and healing and just magical they really can be. Yeah. Indeed. Thank you all. Thank you for coming into this space with me as always, and especially for coming in and being recorded today so we can share this dream group session. I really appreciate each of you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, you're still here. Thank you so much for listening all the way through. I would love to hear from you now. As you heard, every question and every projection from our different perspectives helped Steve through this engagement with the dream. If you want to share what struck you about Steve's dream, come leave a comment on the show notes at thedreamersden.org slash 33. You can also find links there to Steve's podcast, The Dreams That Shape Us, and the slides that I shared with the group as I explained projective dream work. And if you want to join a one-time dream group or become a member of The Dreamers Den, come to thedreamersden.org and you'll find all the information. Feel free to contact me through the contact form there if you have any questions at all. Thank you again for listening. I'll see you on the new moon. Until then, wishing you deep dreams.